I think the role of a nonprofit is always to advance stuff that is not being advanced in any other way. So like, what is the most neglected thing holding stuff back? That's what nonprofits should do. Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Welcome, friends, to episode 42 of the Business for Good podcast. I hope you're all doing well as the economy begins to start up again in what, at least for now, appears to be some relaxation of the shelter-in-place orders. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show, you may recognize the name of this episode's guest since she has been mentioned on at least two past episodes. Isha Dattar is a co-founder of both Perfect Day and Clara Foods, companies that are respectively growing dairy and egg proteins from microbes and which were the subjects of episodes 21 and and 34. Yet Isha is perhaps best known not for her work co-founding for-profit startups seeking to build a more sustainable food system, but really for her role as the executive director of New Harvest, a nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing the field of cellular agriculture, a term, by the way, that Isha coined. Since it was already discussed on past episodes, if you want to hear those stories about the founding of those companies, go back and take a listen to those past conversations with Perfect Day and Clara Foods, or read my book, Clean Meat, in which Isha is a prominent character throughout. One update to her story, though, that you will hear in this interview is that Isha is so mission-driven for her nonprofit organization that she's even transferred her equity in the company she co-founded from her to New Harvest. Already, these companies have valuations in the hundreds of millions, so hopefully one day New Harvest will be the beneficiary of some of those shares. You will hear in this interview what role Isha thinks nonprofits like hers should play in the industry, how many of the people working now at CellAg startups have come through New Harvest, whether as former New Harvest board members like Uma Valetti of Memphis Meats, or former New Harvest fellows like Marie Gibbons and Jess Krieger, who've also both gone on to important careers in the field. We also talk in the interview about controversial topics like what to call meat grown from animal cells, when that meat may end up hitting the market, and whether it will be more of an evolution or a revolution in the meat industry. And Isha scores points with me for quoting the late astronomer and hero of mine, Carl Sagan. Really, this episode has got it all. So sit back, be inspired by Isha's impressive work and career. I know I certainly was. Isha, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Nice to be here, Paul. Or here in whatever sense that means today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, because of the pandemic, we are not uh, physically together, but we are virtually together. And it is very nice to be here, especially because your name has come up in a number of past episodes. So uh, regular listeners will hopefully remember your name coming up in the Perfect Day episode when, uh, Mm -hmm. when I was very... Uh, honored to get to try their ice cream before it even ever came out, uh, before they were even selling it online, let alone now in store in a store in San Francisco, in the Clara Foods episode uh, when I was in, in their office as well. Um, so you've been a name on the show, but somebody who I've been hoping to get onto the show for some time. So thank you for making it happen. For sure. For sure. It's great to be here. Uh, well, it's awesome. So in addition to you being uh, named in the show, Isha, I, I will say we also share uh, quite a past together because mm-hmm. the very first time, as you'll remember, if you maybe you want to tell the story, but uh, in 2014, the very first time either one of us consumed meat that had been grown from animal cells was together. Yes, that's true. And if I remember correctly, that was the first time you had eaten meat in 
a number of decades. <laughs> you have a really good memory. That is true. I, I, I stopped eating meat in 1993, so that would have been 21 years later. And uh, yeah, we were, we were at Modern Meadow, but you tell the story, Isha. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of your other shows, Ryan and Paramal from Perfect Day were there too. Um, and we were tasting a, what was it called? A steak chip. And that was cultured meat, the, you know, made entirely of muscle cells, but with this completely different format where it had this mouthfeel and experience of eating a potato chip in many ways. It was crispy and salty and crunchy. And for me, that was such a big step because, you know, we always think of cultured meat in the limit, you know, limited by how we understand meat to be. And that was the first time I really thought deeply about, okay, actually the boundaries of what meat, the definition of what meat is, has now exploded. And there's so many more options than we thought of before. Yeah, for sure. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was so nice of Andres Forgox, the the founder and CEO of Modern Meadow, to offer that for us. And yeah. uh, for the for those who follow the space, he, he no longer is producing those steak chips. He's shifted entirely to growing leather rather than growing meat. So he's focusing on the outside of the animal rather than the inside. But mm-hmm. it, it was so nice of him. But you may remember he showed us videos of like the only other people who had eaten it. And it was like these billionaires. It was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought I couldn't believe it. It was like that we were in this club back in 2014. And I remember thinking uh, that there were fewer people who had consumed meat grown from animal cells in the world than there were people who have ever left the planet. Like if you think about how many people have left earth, it's many hundreds. Um, Whereas at that time at least it was a a tiny little club. So I was honored to be inducted into that club simultaneously with you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love talking with you, Paul, because you remind me the weight of these things that happen in our lives. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think back and for me, it was just eating a steak chip. But when you give all that context, it's like, wow, we really were at the forefront of something that has become so much more even since. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a dramatic explosion since then. I mean, you talk about an explosion in the concept of meat, and I want to talk about that later for sure. But mm-hmm. uh, since then, I think I think I would uh, speak for anybody, let alone uh, the two of us. And, the, you know, you fast forward today, six years later, and just mm-hmm. the enormity of how much this space has grown. It's its truly mm-hmm. incredible. It's just truly incredible. But oh, let's start closer to the beginning for you, Isha, because yeah. uh, people who know you, they know you're the, the, the executive director of New Harvest. They know that you're mm-hmm. a co-founder of some of the companies in this space, like Perfect Day and Clara Foods. But how did mm-hmm. it get started for you? Uh, you know, like how did it come to pass that you got interested in this field in the first place, let alone became such a leader in it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I came to this field as a science student. I was doing a cell and molecular biology degree at the University of Alberta in Canada. And I, it all happened because I would hang out at the greenhouse at my university and I saw a poster on the wall for a meat science class there and thought, oh my gosh meat science is biology, but it's the type of biology I can talk about with literally anyone on earth because you can talk about meat to absolutely anybody. You could have a political conversation, a scientific conversation, a culinary conversation, whatever. And I I was kind of really looking for that in my uh, science degree experience. 
And so I took this meat science class and my professor, Dr. Mirko Betty, my poultry science professor, was the most forward thinking, future oriented professor of my whole education. And he introduced us kind of on the first day to the impact of animal agriculture. And that completely blew me away. I thought of myself as an environmentalist and I thought I was doing something by biking to school every day when really, um, as I heard one put in, person put it, uh, I had a Hummer in the kitchen or, <laughs> or whatever. So, so all this time, you know, I was kind of not focused in the places that made the most impact. And I, you know, I came away from that lesson thinking, oh my gosh, we all have to go vegan tomorrow. Obviously, that's the only hope we have. And very quickly, I realized that wasn't an option, not only because, you know, the, the messaging around that has been around for thousands of years, but also there are many incredible people working on that today. And I didn't think there was a lot I could add to that conversation uh, to, you know, to advance that mission. So, you know, I was kind of stuck with that. And then a few classes later, the same professor introduced the idea kind of in passing that we could grow meat in cells one day, or sorry, grow meat from cells one day. And because I had come from the faculty of science and we were learning about tissue engineering and so on, you know, I latched onto that idea and thought this is the most obvious next step for agriculture. Like this is absolutely where we're going. We're not going to be farming organisms anymore. We're going to be farming cells directly. And, you know, how do I, how do I get involved? How do I stand behind this? You know, where do I sign up? And I was amazed to find out that the idea did, I mean, it had, it had legs, but there were so few people working on it in the world. And I was kind of shocked to find, you know, you Googled back then in vitro meat and new harvest would come up. And of course, New Harvest was founded by Jason Matheny, who's someone you're also close with, and I believe is also known as Gaverick. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's his middle name. But yeah. <laughs> it, back, in, back in the day when, when we first became friends, he was Gaverick. But now he goes by Jason. But it's, hard, it's tough, <laughs> tough for those of us who know him as Gaverick to think of him as Jason, which sounds much more grown up. Yeah. Um, anyway, Jason had the New Harvest homepage then. It had been around since 2000 three and it was kind of the only place on the web on the internet that had compiled a bunch of articles and things on growing meat from cells and i i emailed him one day and i said no actually i'm getting my story mixed up so what happened was after i learned about the concept i wrote this huge term paper on growing meat from cell cultures digging into all of the literature in kind of the tissue engineering biomedical world, but applying it to food and saying like, look, in, in these fields, we're doing this with fat, we're doing this with muscle, we can derive these types of cells, grow it on these types of scaffolds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what if we looked at all of that in the context of growing food um, so we don't have to rely on animal agriculture? And that term paper, I was very, very proud of. It was probably more, I'd, I, had, I had worked on that more than most things I had worked on in my life up until that point. And I sent it to Jason at New Harvest and said, you know, I wrote this paper in class. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, it looks like you, you compile a lot of literature here. So here's one more resource if you're interested. 
And he emailed me back and uh, CC'd at least half of the researchers I had cited in my paper. And suddenly wow. there was this peer review process going on in my university email. And I was so taken aback by it because I was just a undergrad student. And to, to see so much energy for an idea that I thought was really unique and didn't have a community around it, Yet, to see that there was a community, they really cared about the idea, and also that whatever kind of ivory tower exists in academia seemed to not exist for this field yet, that was awesome to see too, because I was on a kind of level playing field where people were saying, this is an awesome paper, have you thought about revising this, or look at this citation, or read this other thing? And it was awesome that no one asked me how old I was or what university mm. I was at or anything. It was very cool. And um, I had to email Jason on the side and say, Jason, you know, I'm like just an undergrad student. He's like, really? I have no idea. Um, you should publish this. There's, there's not very many publications in the field and it can really add a lot um, to this concept and moving it forward. And so I did go ahead and publish that a year later. I dug a bit deeper into it. Um, my paper was published 10 years ago as of earlier this year, January of this year. So I can't believe that that was that long ago, but it remains a really great kind of starting point for anyone interested in cellular agriculture and cultured meat production in terms of kind of covering the basics. And it was I guess my first starting point into not only cultured meat, but the cultured meat community and kind of identifying what needs were both from the scientific angle, but also from the research community angle. Sure. Well, I remember when your article came out, I read it because Jason slash Gavrik sent it to me uh, when it was published. <laughs> and uh, I, I learned from it and I was like, wow, you know, that's cool that there are articles that are actually being published about this. Like, you know, it wasn't just like a, a NASA experiment that was you know, right. looking at how to grow goldfish for astronauts on long distance cosmic tourist trips, but rather it yeah. was, you know, not a space technology, but something for right here on Earth, which was, uh, you know, pretty remarkable to me. And uh, I, as somebody who had been basically watching Jason for a long time on this, we, we were actually lived together back then, back in like 02 or 03. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, at that time, I always just thought of what he was doing as something that was cool, but seemed like decades off. It just seemed like, mm -hmm. you know, this is some sci-fi technology that would be awesome. And that is on Star Trek, but, you know, it didn't seem likely to occur. And mm -hmm. uh, when I read your paper, I, I remember thinking, well, maybe I'm not right about that. Maybe there is something here that uh, could actually get sparked. And so you, yeah. your paper provided a spark for me. And, and now, of course, and quite more than a spark for you. And that 10 years later, you're now a leader in this movement um, and have been for a long time. But just to fast forward the story, Isha. So after your paper came out, I know mm -hmm. um, that Jason was thinking about moving on after running New Harvest for a while. And mm -hmm. then he thought, well, who should be my successor? Well, this former undergrad who published this awesome paper. <laughs> <laughs> is there more yeah. to it than that? Or is, tell me, is that, is that an accurate telling of the story? Yeah. Um, so I know that New Harvest was looking for an executive director for a few years and Jason did a lot of incredible work at New Harvest, but for him, it was always a, like evenings and weekends type of gig. And it, it, he, you know, he had a full 
full-time job. He had at least one full-time job <laughs> knowing Jason. So um, I, I was always keeping tabs on who is the executive director going to be. And then someone, I can't remember who, and I'm probably going to say the wrong name, but I think it was actually Nick Genovese, who's now you know, one of the co-founders of Memphis Meets. I think he sent me a message that was like, why don't you apply to this position? And I was like, oh, I don't know anything about running a nonprofit. And he said, you know, you know, just, just apply. Like you're, you're, you've written this paper, you've done a lot of public speaking on the topic, like it, New Harvest needs leadership. And so I, I did. And as soon as I did, there was no plan B. I was, I was like, <laughs> this is the only thing I want to do. I have no, there's nothing I want to do more than this. And at the time I was actually, I had done a master's of biotechnology. I was working full time at GlaxoSmithKline and pharma, a big pharma. We, I was focused on policy and public affairs. So I worked, you know, my first big task was writing a huge briefing document on all the policies that were affecting uh, the pharma industry for the incoming CEO. So I like that was an awesome first project. But then after that project was done, I was kind of like, okay, what's my next move here? And um, I wanted my next move to be cultured meat or bust. And I, <laughs> I remember talking to my boss at the pharma company and they're like, so, you know, we really like you around here. Like, do, are you going to apply? And I was like, nope. And they're like, what are you going to do instead? And I was like, I'm thinking about this thing. And they're like, what is that? It, it was it was so funny. Um, but uh, yeah, what ended up happening is I applied for New Harvest to be executive director at the same time as I when I applied to do the first TEDx talk on cultured meat, which was in Toronto. At the time that TEDx Toronto was, I think, one of the t maybe top five TEDx's in the world, had a really big audience, super wonderful production value. And I don't know if I've told this story publicly yet, but, um, and I don't think Jason knows this either, but I told, I told, <laughs> well, the people, now. The time. I told the TEDx people, like, I did this research and, you know, I'm I'm going to become the executive director of New Harvest soon, like any any minute now. And uh, meanwhile, I told Jason like I I'm going to get this TEDx talk soon, but I had neither of them, and neither of them were confirmed. And uh, what ended up happening is I did the TEDx presentation. Um, it went super well, and then Jason invited me for an interview in DC. And so I flew down to see him and the TEDx talk went up the morning of my interview. So when I went to see Jason, he's like, I saw your talk this morning and I was like, wow, I'm, I kind of lied. And I, I hadn't really, that's a new story, Paul, exclusive <laughs> to business for good podcast. <laughs> Very good. Very good. The, 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 the wires are lighting up right now. Uh, that, but it worked. You know, you went out on a limb and, and uh, fortunately for you, it worked. And, yeah. you know, and, you know, the, the worst thing that could have happened from it would be that it could unfairly influence that. It's not like you were, you know, out there telling anybody <laughs> that your 
your testing for cancer tests worked when it didn't actually work. So, you know. Right. Yes. I was, yeah. I was putting my intention out into the world. And it, <laughs> it, 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 it came back and I'm glad it did. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, now there is a lot of uh, movement in this space. Like when mm-hmm. you became the executive director of New Harvest, it really was the realm of nonprofits um, or mm-hmm. academics. There really wasn't like a, a side that was trying to commercialize any products yet. And now you've had this explosion of companies. There's dozens and dozens of these startups ranging from ones like Memphis Meats that have raised like over $150 million to some smaller mm-hmm. ones that are, are getting seed funding now. Um, mm-hmm. but, but how do you see the role of a nonprofit organization like New Harvest now compared to when it was like the only game in town, essentially? Uh, like, what mm-hmm. is the role that you see? Is it supporting these startups, uh, advancing academic research? Like, what's the most important things that you think that New Harvest can do in today's world? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So I think the role of a nonprofit is always to advance stuff that is not being advanced in any other way. So like, what is the most neglected thing holding stuff back? That's what nonprofits should do. And so in the very, very early days when New Harvest was the only game in town, um, I think the biggest challenge was there is so much to do that picking what to do first was the biggest, you know, was, was hard. And, um, the kind of force factor for what we did do first, which was essentially convene a community was that we had no money and that was the easiest thing to do. So, you know, essentially set up a Facebook group and talk to every single person who's excited about growing meat from cells. And um, it turns out there's quite a lot of people around the world who thought that that was their own original idea and then Googled it and found out that New Harvest existed. So I Hmm. met, you know, hundreds of people the very first year I was with New Harvest who were all super excited about this idea very activated, um, looking for opportunities to make this opportunity into something real. And um, just becoming that first central hub, I think, was the most important piece. And then the second important piece for me was making sure that real physical advancements happened in the world. I never wanted New Harvest to be just kind of messaging or advocacy. I wanted to make sure we were standing behind real scientific advancements, which, which probably speaks to me coming from a science background too. Um, so the, the way that we made advancements in the lab was through these existing accelerator programs because it was kind of the only access to capital we had to do that kind of work. And that, of course, led to Perfect Day and Clara Foods. So I could tell those stories like more uh, with more detail later. But today, now that the field is kind of broadened, there's a lot more companies, there's some accelerators doing great work in this space. Um, Now I feel like New Harvest can double down on what we do best and what continues to be the most neglected, which is um, bolstering our scientific foundation, building the field of cellular agriculture. Um, This goes back to the idea of you know, when these companies exist, who are the people they're going to hire? Who are the technical experts that they're going to need, not only on their team, pushing these advancements forward in the lab, but also um, independently as as key opinion leaders that regulators would go to for public opinions and so on. And people who are kind of driving forward research that is, you know, maybe five to 10 years out from being relevant to companies, but will become relevant down the line. Um, 
Mm. You know, we, we talk about companies as being these innovative powerhouses all the time, but oftentimes they are, they're kind of, uh, putting together a lot of stuff that was actually discovered in a public academic setting or through, you know, military research or government grants. And so there is currently no driving force for that type of discovery research. And so New Harvest is filling that gap right now with the goal of um, kind of A, building the foundation of research in terms of kind of citations, papers, literature, and then B, building the scientific community, the actual people and experts who are going to become, you know, the technical co-founders and technical hires, CTOs, et cetera, of the future. And by growing those two metrics, um, we believe that we will also create the backbone for um, government grants so that we can start applying for these huge $50 million kinds of grants that the government issues for basically establishing new fields, um, bringing rock star researchers into the fold, you know, building institutions around the world. And we can't do that without, you know, the data and scientific community on the back end. So that's, that's what New Harvest is focused on today. And it's still, it's a big, big thing to work on, but uh, mm -hmm. I think we can do that. I think that's the one thing that we can do better than anybody else. And that we're really driving forward right now. That's great. Man. That's great, Isha. And I know that um, many of the names of people who are now working or even founders of some of the startups in the space really came out of New Harvest. Like even though mm -hmm. New Harvest itself is not necessarily an incubator, mm -hmm. and you look at like Marie Gibbons, who is a researcher for New Harvest and now works mm -hmm. at Memphis Meets, or even mm -hmm. Uma Valetti, the, the co-founder of Memphis Meets, who is on the New Harvest board of directors, or mm -hmm. Jess Krieger, who's now a co-founder of Artemis Foods. Like the list goes on and on of people yep. who have been a part of the New Harvest team and now are, are either starting or working at some of these companies in the space. So uh, it certainly uh, speaks to the importance of, of what you're doing. Now, mm -hmm. you know, I want to uh, ask you about one of the most controversial topics in the field. Ooh. And <laughs> so brace yourself. Yep. So first I want to, first I just want to give credit where credit is due because uh, you've been using the term cellular agriculture during this conversation, which is a term that you invented and it's a great term. It really, Thank I think, <laughs> I, think it, I, I think it does a wonderful job of explaining, you know, mm -hmm. what is happening. There's a, there's another a second agricultural revolution, so to speak, where we're not domesticating animals or plants or domesticating their cells. And that's the cellular agriculture revolution. Now, mm -hmm. when this all got started, you you mentioned that people would, you know, search for in vitro meat, which of course did not whet many appetites. So yeah. then there was a <laughs> then there was a shift to people wanting to call it cultured meat because it sounded much better admittedly than than in vitro meat. And then there were some concerns that cultured meat wasn't as uh, consumer friendly that both New Harvest and the Good Food Institute did some research on it and found that cultured meat posed some, some questions or concerns. And so then people were switching to clean meat. But then there were concerns that um, it was too offensive to the meat industry to call it clean meat and other concerns were raised. And so then some folks wanted to call it cell-based meat. And then some folks were concerned about that because it sounds extremely consumer unfriendly. Very few people want to eat cells. And, and there's also the concern that um, there's also the concern that all meat is cell-based, of course. So it's, yeah. a, it's a little <laughs> bit difficult to actually distinguish it or to think that the government would allow it when it doesn't really distinguish it at all. So now you got groups like uh, Good Food Institute who are saying, well, let's call it cultivated meat, um, mm -hmm. saying that that kind of splits the baby, so to speak. And sorry, I, I know that your baby, <laughs> be Marcel, turns one 
Latin this week, so I, I don't mean to use the violent analogy here, but it is kind of squitting the baby. It's a cultivated meat. So first and foremost, you notice this cultured, cell-based, cultivated queen. Nobody can think of anything that starts with something other than a C, first of all. Yeah. So I don't know why yeah. there's no imagination beyond these C words. But you've been using you've been using cultured, and tell me why. Like why is that your pick of the word to use? That's a great question. So this whole conversation reminds me of something I saw on Twitter, which is, you know, it's not particularly interesting to talk about Twitter, but it was a a tweet that said, what's the most petty hill that you will die on? And someone wrote, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the most petty hill I would die on is I don't care if the toilet paper uh, rolls from the inside or the outside. I, I don't care at all. And that's actually my position on this is I don't care what the what the name of of it is. I call it cultured meat probably just because out of habit and I started calling it cultured meat. I don't see it as particularly terrible. Like in beach I, I probably did use in vitro way, way back, but then that kind of went out the window. And so I I kind of use it out of muscle memory. Um but to some degree, I mean we are a research institute and you know academic freedom is a important thing to us so we don't tell our researchers you know to all convene behind a term because their independence is really crucial and important um i think that there are probably terms that need to be picked for different audiences uh there's you know when you're talking to a certain group you want to use a certain term because that's going to kind of bring them on board faster or make them think in a different way or whatever and so you know, I'd like to think that I have the freedom to do whatever is best for the space. <laughs> you know, you know, I have that flexibility and I think everybody should have that flexibility too. And I also don't really think that it's up to me to decide what the right term is because my audience, the audiences that we deal with on a daily basis, you know, might not be the audiences that a company deals with on a, on a daily basis. So I, I don't think I'm in the position to tell anybody what, what terms they should use. So essentially okay. I use cultured because of muscle memory, because I think it's accurate enough. I think it's also appetizing enough. Like there's some familiarity with it. I personally think cultured and cultivated are so similar that we should have just gone back to cultured instead of creating another term. Because <laughs> um, I mean, cultivated is there already are, like that is already an agriculture term. It's something that probably touches on big ag more than than culture. At least culture is already kind of food tech and that it allure, alludes to some kind of fermentation or something like that. Whereas cultivated is, I mean, to me, cultivated would make a great plant-based term because hmm. plants are cultivated. So anyway, I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to pick everything apart because it's, it's like both yeah. very easy to, it's easy to pick things apart and it's hard to stand behind something. And, um, yeah, I think, right. I, I think people are going to name whatever they need to name. And I hope when the branded products come out that they also don't feel limited and they can kind of brand appropriately. I mean, think about Soylent. I mean, that's probably the worst name theoretically to go forward with, but you're, you're heading for a certain audience with it. And so, we probably want to keep our options open because there there could be many different audiences for cultured meat down the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you make some very good points. Um, I, I too share your thought about cultured and cultivated being very similar to one another. And 
um, you know, in terms of petty hills to die on, um, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, I think a petty hill I might die on is like the use of the Oxford comma. That seems like to me my hill that I would die on maybe, or, um, <laughs> or, or maybe the misuse of the word literally, like it always bothers me when people use literally to mean metaphorically, yes. they'll be like, oh, yeah. it's so funny. I literally died. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. Um, but <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, from my own perspective on it, uh, first, we can just call mm -hmm. it CM, you CM, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever you think the C stands for, just call it CM. But yeah. um, the only thing I, I, I really object to, I think, is cell-based mm -hmm. meat, just because I think it's so unappetizing. Um, yeah, there's the question, or not the question, but the problem that all meat is cell-based, but it, it just sounds so unappetizing because nobody wants to eat cells. Um, mm -hmm. despite the fact that of course we, we eat cells all the time, but, uh, nobody wants to eat it. And so for me, like I'm, I'm content using cultured or cultivated. Uh, I, I also think queen is fine, not just because that's the name of my book, queen meat, but also, <laughs> um, I think, I think it actually is, um, a good reference to queen energy. And so I, I realize why people wouldn't use it for concerns about offending the meat industry. Um, especially right. if you're, in, especially if your investors are the meat industry, like it, it, I yeah. totally do, the same, I mean, do the same thing in the, in the shoes. Um, but I know that it's not a scientific term. It's not what the government's going to call it. And so right. like for me, like cultured, I'm fine with queen cultivated. I don't really care that much. I just think it should be consumer friendly and accurate. And my concern right. about cell, cell based is that it's neither of those, but, um, well, but you I mean, know, it's not, not my decision to make, of course, but it is my opinion. <laughs> well, our, I mean, new harvest primary audience is how do we grow the scientific community? How do we get build credibility and buy-in from the scientific community. And so, you know, clean is not going to do that because it's attributing qualities that we sure. don't know exist. Um, yeah. Cultured might, right. but from also a publication standpoint, you know, it's going to be hard to do research when there's so many publications out there with so many different names and how do you search for this whole <laughs> yeah, portfolio? Right. So that, that's like a little bit of a thing. But the clean is funny yeah. because I was initially had such an allergic reaction to clean. But since COVID happened, I'm like, mm. clean's actually really good right now. This is like, you know, the, <laughs> the idea, you know, before we, we wanted stuff to be, you know, organic and, you know, natural and friendly, but more than ever, we're looking for like, how do I get the cleaning wise with the most bleach in it? And like the most, mm -hmm. um, you know, science powered cleanliness behind it and so in a way clean might be like actually really great for the times and kind of seeing what's happening in all these meat processing plants too but anyway again i i wouldn't use that with our kind of science base i just think it's it's always just an interesting conversation to keep going i'm kind of confused that cellular agriculture yeah. no one asked any questions about it and it just kind of took off with not much of not much anything behind it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think cellular agriculture is a great term to describe the field, mm -hmm. and I think that the issue about what you call the meat is is maybe more important because it's what consumers mm -hmm. are going to hear. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like when people hear plant based meat, like you know that's that's what they that's what they hear. Do you want to eat plant based meat? Well, people like plants, so they think of plants as being good for them. So um, the question for me is whether people will think cells or something that they want to eat or not. But uh, anyway, I, I, you know, I don't want to uh, beat a dead microbe for too long on that, but <laughs> I will say this about it. 
in the in the field, I have also thought from a terminology perspective that, of course, scientifically, if people are talking about bioreactors, that's fine. But I've always been concerned publicly about talking about it. And I've proposed calling them cultivators because mm-hmm. I think it sounds a lot uh, consumer friendlier to so growing mm-hmm. meat in cultivators. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know how many people have their appetites wet when they think about their food coming out of a bioreactor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the term cultivator for whatever it's worth, uh, for, for a long time, I've well, recommended cultivators. So no, I don't think it's wrong. I mean, I think it's technically right and you can call it whatever you want, but I think that, I think there is an interesting opinion when it comes to thinking about consumers, because I think, you know, for me, a big way that we're going to bypass what happened to GMOs is being as frank and open about what we're doing when we talk about growing meat from cells and culture this and whatever. I think it has to be pretty on the surface what we're doing and, and achieving understanding should actually be the goal because making kind of bringing people on board with the mission of growing meat from cells, why we're doing it, why the people, you know, why the scientists in the lab are motivated by this and so on is going to be really, really crucial down the line to prevent people from just having Mm -hmm. this enormous allergic reaction to this secret thing that we've been, that's been shoved in our food all these, all (laughs) this year. I mean, I'm amazed how many people tell me, haven't I already been eating that at Taco Bell or McDonald's or whatever? And I'm like, no, but I mean, that would be yeah. cool, but no, mm-hmm. that's not happening right now. I wish. Yeah. That, so, yeah, that's like when people, that's like when people make up like urban legends, like, oh, right. like, you know, McDonald's burgers, they're not even beef. It's like, I, I wish that was true. That'd be awesome. But oh, right. yes, it, it, it is not. But yeah, no, I mean, to be clear, I'm not recommending trying to keep anybody in the dark. I just think the name cultivator no. is, a, is a good name for it. But yeah, yeah, let no, me I, ask I, you, I agree. Sorry. Yeah, and, and um, I also want to. I, I also want to say. Oh, no, no, no go, go on. Sorry, you, you, you first. You first. You first. Well, the the one more thing is, uh, I saw a publication recently that Mark Post put out with, around consumer acceptance. And normally, I'm like the consumer acceptance publications, and I, I don't, whatever, it doesn't matter because we can't really predict what's going to happen with these products. I have the green eggs and ham approach. I will not eat green eggs, and then you taste it, and you're like, okay, I'm into it. But the um, <laughs> my the conclusion of it was people were more likely to want cultured meat and taste it and be happy with it and pay more for it and so on if they had heard of it before. And so all this work that we're doing upstream of products being on the market, just the discourse, even if it's not 100% positive, I think contributes to the success of products down the line because we're just being transparent. We're just telling the stories of the people working on this stuff and, and that all matters. Like it's just honest, um, honest yeah. messaging. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, a, I think you're making a, a really important and, and excellent point. And, um, you know, for me that, that does speak to the importance of getting this discussion out there for people to hear about it. But I've always said like, you know, if you think about the, like the three biggest barriers to, um, you know, widespread commercialization and acceptance. You know, people always talk about government regulations, technological hurdles, and consumer acceptance. And and I've always thought of consumer acceptance as the least of those hurdles. Like, I always think if this is 
approved mm-hmm. for consumption and it tastes good and it's affordable, many people will eat it. Now, I'm not saying everybody will, but many people will eat mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. I agree that the, the more they know about it, the more familiar it will be and, and the more they will. But in, in terms of government regulations, uh, rather than talking about the regulations, you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, like, for example, a $50 million um, funding of this. Like out of curiosity, mm-hmm. all think about all government funding globally for the cultured meat research in all of history combined. Do you think it totals $50 million? Mm. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think yeah, so. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it, it, it might be less than 10 million as far as I can recall. Um, yeah, you know, I like, mean, uh, I don't know fully what Israel and Singapore might total to. But yeah, I, yeah, uh, I think you're, I think you're right. It's not. Right. It's and not so, enough. yeah, and that just underscores, I think one of the important aspects of what new harvest is doing and that could, you know, is such an important goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let me ask you then also, Isha, like in, in terms of <clears throat> like government, like lobbying the government to, let's say like whether it's the National Science Foundation or maybe USDA Agricultural Research Services and or, or et cetera, like what do you see as the role for nonprofits like New Harvest in lobbying? Like is it solely related to research funding? Do you all get involved in any of the battles over who is going to regulate this or what the labeling of it ought to be? Is that part of New Harvest mission or, or really the agenda? Not at all. We are, we do not do any lobbying whatsoever. And so I would say that our relationship with the government, if any, is like we are the credible public academic resource organization. If the government's like, where do I find an expert in cellular agriculture? They can come to us and they can know that we know, you know, this broad network of scientists who don't have conflicts of interest and who can speak to the science behind cellular agriculture, but we ourselves are not lobbying for anything in particular. I think, I think it may sound like lobbying when I say that we are supporting research so that we can apply for these bigger government grants, but really that's, that's not what's happening because New Harvest is not applying for those grants. Um, when you apply for a big government grant, you usually have to have to like cite a whole bunch of literature in your application. And so mm-hmm. in the absence of any cellular agriculture literature, it's really hard for someone whose whole you know, career has been focused on biomedical engineering to suddenly be proposing that they want to grow food and for all these reasons and for you know, so on and so forth. So what we're trying to do is use the research that we support as catalytic research that becomes these very important citations for government grants, but those grants are ultimately driven by, you know, rock star scientists in our network, not by New Harvest. So it is still mm. us um, creating resources, um, creating important citations, but not, it's not really lobbying activity. It's just kind of, okay. yeah. Well, I, I want to get back to a couple controversial uh, points also then, Isha. So first, <laughs> let me ask you, which mm-hmm. do you think will be commercialized first? Uh, leather grown from animal cells or from collagen or et cetera, or meat? Um, definitely leather. <laughs> definitely leather. Okay, because, you know, Modern Meadow has, has been around. What, what year were they founded? Was it, it feels like it was... 
I think 2011. I think 2011. 2011. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so I know that uh, Andras, their, their CEO and founder, is on your board of directors now at New Harvest. So you might have mm-hmm. insider information. So you, you might have some insider intel here. But share with us, why do you think weather is going to be commercialized before meat? I mean, I think for the same reason that um, modern meta has been around since 2011, it means they've just been working on it longer. I mean, I think, I think you know, from a technical standpoint, there are... There, there's a lot more flexibility in what, how leather can be defined and therefore a lot more options in terms of how you would approach the science behind producing leather and culture. Um, there isn't a big regulatory situation to deal with. Um, I think the materials industry is already very primed to receive a lot of innovation. So it wouldn't seem like a disruption in the same way that you know, maybe cultured meat wood for the existing meat industry. And, um, you know, you can sell a watch strap for a hundred bucks, but you can't sell like a pepperoni stick for a hundred bucks. And so the, (laughs) the, the entry for that first product is a lot lower. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, similarly, I don't So let me ask you. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. No, no, you don't actually. Well, there, I mean, we saw we saw these, um, you know, on the acellular agriculture side, growing proteins from cultures. We we saw, you know, the silk proteins come out first, bolt threads, tie, fibers, jacket before mm-hmm. perfect days, milk or Clara's eggs or stuff like that. So that's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, and then also. I don't, I need to fact check myself on this, but I'm pretty sure GMO cotton, I mean, that can, that can come out and enter the market before the foods. I I think it came out first, but I have to, I have to check my sources on that one. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. So let me then ask you the multi-million dollar question Mm. here. When do you think cultured meat will first be sold somewhere in the world? Now, I don't mean on grocery store <laughs> shelves, but I mean a sale, even if it's a one time at a restaurant sale for publicity purposes. But when will be the first sale of cultured meat somewhere on earth that you predict? Well, I think if the sale could be publicity, it could happen tomorrow if, if one of the companies wanted that. Um, Mm-hmm. So I don't. So I don't think that maybe maybe expanding the expanding. Well, I, I, I don't platform. think there's a government that's approved it, though. I, I don't think there's a government that's approved it. I, I think it would be illegal to do that. Is my understanding? Well, I'm sure you could sign a waiver. <laughs> don't you think? Maybe. I mean, I we, we I, tasted I, we tasted that cultured meat. I mean, a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't we have on yeah, we Patreon I mean, given I, I, someone five bucks to do that? I, mean, <laughs> I, I think we could have been. I'm, I, I think we could. <laughs> I just don't know whether it would be legal. You know, I, I was I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate during the the period of writing the book Queen Meat that I got to eat you know so many of the products from these companies from fish to you know to uh, pork to beef to foie gras and to duck meat and so on. And so I, I felt like I, I really got to try a whole bunch of different things. Um, yeah. But my my understanding of it, which may be limited, is that 
you know, you can give anybody free food, but if you actually want to make a commercial sale of a product that there needs to be some type of regulation and, you know, you have to have a license to be a food seller uh, okay. and so on. And so <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's what I think. I mean, I don't, I don't think the government just lets you sell food if you're not licensed, but I don't know. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I, don't, you know, I, I don't know either. I yeah. shouldn't be picking apart your yeah. question. But the, the problem is, is I think <laughs> that that million dollar question kind of needs to be picked mm -hmm. apart because there's such a vast range in terms of what we're talking about when we say a cultured meat product. Yes. And I think whatever cultured meat product comes to market first is going to be something that's like the most technically achievable, obviously. And so I think, you know, if, if it were up entirely, entirely up to me, I would say the first cultured meat product product is probably something like animal cells sprinkled on a veggie burger or animal proteins sprinkled on a veggie burger that were grown outside of an animal, but it's just the proteins and not the cells. And mm -hmm. so those... Yeah, I mean... That yeah, that's kind of like the whole premise behind what companies like Mission Barnes are doing, mm -hmm. you know, um, with Aton Fisher and, and his group at Mission mm -hmm. Barnes are, are doing is basically growing animal fat, which they assert is much easier to grow than animal muscle. And then they would sell mm -hmm. it as an ingredient to companies like what, what you were just referring yeah. to so that you could have a, you know, a, a plant-based burger that has more realistic animal fat in it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, that, that, that kind cool. of product... I, I, is is I mean not only more technically achievable, but probably has a more straightforward regulatory pathway too. And so that type mm -hmm. of product, I I could probably envision within the next five years. But the product that I think yes. we're all thinking about, which is you know a fully fully you know textured steak or something, that's that's a ways mm -hmm. away. And I think New Harvest research portfolio is probably going to contribute to that because it's, it's going to require a lot of inputs from a lot of different places. I, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 I think that, you know, the thought of having Costco grocery store shelves, having cultured meat on those shelves is many years off, uh, sadly. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I I did try actually a product like what you're describing at Mission Barnes, um, where they served some plant-based meat, where they had put their duck fat that they grew uh, cool. into it, and it was quite delicious. But it wasn't it wasn't back to back. Uh, like I didn't try like a like one that had coconut mm. oil in it or something that was plant-based. So I, I mm. you know I'd like to do that in the future. Um, but I can tell you right. it was quite delectable. It was fantastic. Uh, so, so what do you think is like, or like white spaces in the area, you know, no, you know, few people have as, as much of a, uh, bird's eye view, so to speak of you of the field. So knowing what you know about which companies exist now and what research is currently happening, like what's the biggest white space that you think needs to be filled in, in the cellular ag space? Um, I've been excited about the past year or so, because I feel like we're seeing more companies emerge that are in the picks and shovels category. So people working on certain aspects of the cultured meat supply chain, as opposed to being these kind of vertically integrated companies that do everything required to deliver meat, you know, cultured meat to your plate. Um, so these are companies working on mm -hmm. serum-free media, companies working on enabling technologies in bioreactor design, 
um, there's another comp there's a company I recently met that's like, we only, we only grow like a lot of myotubes and then we're, we're going to sell, sell those myotubes, which is exciting. And so I, I can't even tell you that I know all of these new companies because I, uh, I was, you know, we were going to have our new harvest 2020 conference this year. And I wanted to onboard a whole bunch of early stage companies, um, into the conference. And I onboarded 10, you know, before COVID hit, I onboarded 10 companies that were all founded in 2019 and they were all working kind of like different aspects hmm. of the supply chain. And a lot of them I had never met before, never heard of. So it's kind of hard for me to address the white spaces because they're getting filled in pretty quickly. Um, but I no, would say nice. that I, I think that there are some interesting questions that could be asked, uh, such as, you know, we we're going, uh, these are all relates to, instead of this back-to-back -back comparison of meat as we know it today and, and the, the meat that could exist with cultured meat, that opens some questions. One of them is, what, what species of cell actually is the fastest and most cost-effective to grow? You know, maybe it is not beef, pork, chicken, turkey, duck, and maybe it's something else that we just don't know of. You know, that's an interesting question and could lead to a really cool uh, business idea. And I would be surprised if no one has thought of that. Um, and then <laughs> relatedly, it could be like the, it, it could be like the turkey of cell where you have like turkey cells, duck cells, and chicken cells, and you can weave them all together. Uh, <laughs> are you well, wait, wait, let me ask you, are you familiar with the, with the turducken? Do you know what that is? Oh yes, I'm very familiar with um okay all right for listeners who for listeners who don't know there's <laughs> there's an actual product called the turducken which is a uh, chicken stuffed inside of a duck stuffed inside of a turkey and then you cook it all together and then you eat the three birds together and uh so maybe maybe the best blend is some type of like uh you know combo like that so who knows what it'll be but yeah. you know it's funny ish i asked uh I've asked uh, Jason uh, Matheny for the last like 15 years when he thinks <laughs> that the products like they will be on the market. And he has a really funny joke where he says, no matter what year he is asked, it'll always be five years out. It's five yeah. years out. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. when I asked him in 2005, it was five years out. And I asked him in 2010, same thing. And uh, I think he would still say the same today. I'll have to ask him. But but yeah, that's, um, you know, I think that there are some people who are very optimistic and hopeful, um, but yeah. I think there's uh, others who I think are a bit more realistic about what to expect in, in the coming years, which is one reason I think that uh, plant-based and blending of plant-based into animal proteins mm -hmm. is so important because, mm -hmm. you know, people are like, well, when, when, when cultured meat hits the market, isn't it just going to obviate all of this? And it's like, well, not only is that not true when it does hit the market, but it's going to take decades to scale up. Yep. You yep. know, like, I mean, even if it was on store shelves today, the infrastructure needed to scale it up to, to you know, totally displace all animal agriculture today. I mean, I mean, if that, I mean it's, it's so fanciful in terms of like the idea that it's going to just rapidly change in a period of a few years. Um, yeah, totally. So, and uh, that's why I almost have, like, think we shouldn't even talk about this as disruption because it's such a, it's, it's much more of an evolution than a revolution <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. yeah. a statement yeah. like that. And, and I also, I mean, it reminds me a lot of driverless cars or whatever you mm. want to call it, where, you know, people are envisioning this, what that product is as the fully 
tricked out thing that you can like read a newspaper in while you're being driven all over the city when actually you know the driverless cars that we're going to see first are are cars that like parallel park for you and mm -hmm. yeah. you know we should be we should be having that level those types of levels for cultured meat too we should be thinking of it that way uh, that's a really great analogy. I really, really like that a lot. Yeah. And in, in some ways, I mean, cruise control is a driverless car in some respects mm -hmm. also. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. so, uh, so let me ask you, Isha, you've done a lot um, in your life. And there are many people who I think would, would look at you and say, wow, how can I be more like her? So tell us, are there any resources that you have found useful in, in your own journey and your life that you would recommend to others, whether they be books or maybe somebody else's speeches, maybe even your own speeches, but uh, anything <laughs> that, you, that, that you would recommend for others who want to uh, try to pave a path that might be uh, somewhat similarly impressive to yours? Uh, yeah, there's one that comes to mind. And um, I'll, I'll preface this with a little bit of talking up front, which is around my philosophy around the idea that we will have cultured meat on store shelves does not is inspired by Carl Sagan, who has a quote where he says, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. And I tell this quote to most people that I have a first conversation with, because in many ways, this has been my personal philosophy of how to make cultured meat exist. It's not by multiplying cells in the lab. It's actually by creating the universe that will create cultured meat. So making sure that there are scientists, entrepreneurs, regulatory people, independent um, researchers, investors, philanthropists, it's, you know, all these people have to exist and have to have the adequate resources in order for cultured meat to not only come about technically, but go through regulation, end up on store shelves, be marketed in cool ways, be tasty, et cetera. And um, this ecosystem approach has guided a lot of decisions in my life. You know, a, an example of that is, you know, stepping away from Perfect Day and Clara Foods as a co-founder so that they could kind of grow on, on their own. New Harvest has founding equity in them now instead of me personally. And so I could focus on kind of building out the rest of the ecosystem. I think a lot of companies that have come through New Harvest have come from this very generous approach of like anyone who comes through New Harvest and goes on to, to, uh, contribute to Salag as a field is helping everybody else. Like the the more people exist in the field, the the better chance we have. And I think a book that bolstered that sentiment, or at least created more narrative around it that I could wrap my head around and also tell people about, was a book called The Generosity Network by Jennifer McRae. She okay. is a expert fundraiser. And so she does these really awesome fundraising workshops and courses, which can seem really expensive, but are worth every penny of every penny. Like I've done her workshop twice. Um, I was going to say maybe three times, twice at least. And uh, the Generosity Network is just about um, essentially how to ask for money, how you think of everybody in your uh, field and everybody behind your mission is having something to contribute, whether it is time or money or expertise or whatever. And, and after reading that book, I, I felt just so differently about New Harvest and what we do, because I realized that contributing value to the space 
it, it was not about transaction. It was about how much can we put into this pool um, to grow Salag collectively. And I would, I would recommend it as reading if you're raising funds for a company or a nonprofit, or if you're not raising funds at all, it's, it's just a great example of how you get people into your mission and bring them on board. Fantastic. Well, we'll certainly include a link to that book in the show notes. It's a great yeah. suggestion. And I have not read it nor even heard of it. So shame on me, but I'm going to put it on my own list, Isha. And I really appreciate that. And I appreciate yeah. everything that, that you have done and accomplished to help advance the field of cellular agriculture, including naming it. And <laughs> I am, can assure you that I will be rooting for your and New Harvest continued success. And we'll look forward to that day when you're able to effectuate a $50 million governmental grant and, and quintuple the amount of global governmental research going into cellular agriculture in, in all of history. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and, and when that comes, when that time comes, we'll, we'll do an, a, a proper accounting to make sure it's a quintupling, but, <laughs> yeah. but thank you very much for everything you're doing, Isha. And it's great to get to talk with you here. And again, we'll be rooting for your success. Thank you so much, Paul. It's great to be on your show. And I have to thank you also for so much that you've done for New Harvest. I have to say the book Clean Meat was such an important milestone for the space and continues to be a great uh, traffic director in New Harvest Direction. So thank you so much also for what you've done for us. Little would make me happier than the book driving people your way. So thank you for that. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good.